All right, it's time to invite the kids to come out front and have a seat over here. So come on up, find somewhere to sit. All right, my four volunteers can come right over here and line up. Uh-oh, did we get toes stepped on? All right, everyone find a spot to sit. Good, except for these four. They're my helpers today. All right, come on up. Good to see everyone. All right, now I have a question for you. Have you guys ever played the game telephone? Right, so we're going to do that. So what will happen is I'm going to whisper something to Kellen. He's going to whisper it to Aiden. He's going to whisper it to Dean. He's going to whisper it to Vince. And we're going to see if Vince can come up with the same thing that I said. All right? You understand? All right, here we go. Ready? All right, ready? What do you got? God has done great things. God has done great things. We got it, didn't we? All right, that was pretty good. God has done great things. Yeah, way to go. All right, you guys can sit down right there if you want, right where you are. That's good. All right. So we got it right. Now, would Vince have known what I said if Dean didn't tell him? He wouldn't have known, right? Would Dean have known if Aiden didn't tell him? No, and Aiden wouldn't have known if Kellen hadn't told him, right? And so we had to pass it on down the line. And so the message was God has done great things, right? So it's important for us that we tell others what God has done, right? And it's important that we tell all of what God has done in creation and salvation and all those things that God has done. And it's important that we tell it truthfully and accurately, right? And God has given us his word, the Bible, to help us to do that truthfully and accurately, right? So it's important for us because we want others to know about God, to know God and what he has done, all the things that he has done in creating us and saving us, right? And so today our passage, in our passage, the Bible, we're going to hear that the Bible says that we are to tell the generations coming after us. Now, generations is a big word, but what that means is that means that we are to tell our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. Those are the generations coming after us. And we should tell these things because we want them to know God, and we want them to love God, and we want them to live in faithful obedience to God. Now, many of you someday, maybe you haven't thought about this, but you will probably have kids someday. Have you ever thought about that? Your kids right now, but someday you're probably going to have kids of your own, right? Now, when that happens, are you going to want your kids to know God and to live faithfully with God? Yeah. So guess what? You're going to have to tell them about God and all that he has done, right? And do you want your grandkids someday to know God? Yeah. So guess what? You have to tell your kids about what God has done, who he is and what he has done, so they can tell your grandkids about who God is and what he has done. That was similar to our telephone game here, right? We're passing it on 
from one generation to the next generation to the next generation on down the line it goes. And that's how God has designed it for us. And so do you know what happens when we do this? We have what I call multi-generational faithfulness. We have generation after generation of people who know God, who love him, and who live faithfully with God. And so that's a great thing. That's what God would want for us. All right? So whenever your dad or your mom is reading the Bible to you or talking to you about things of God, it's important that you listen really carefully so you can learn about who God is and what he has done. And that way you can know God and what he has done, and someday you'll be able to tell your kids about who God is and what he has done so they can know God and walk faithfully with him as well and pass it down to their kids, which will be your grandkids. All right? So Pastor Jeremy's going to come up and preach, and so you guys can go back and have a seat and keep listening. Thanks for coming up. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, please. I was looking back over the sermons I've done in my three and a half years here, and this is the third time I've done a series like this, where we're talking specifically about uh, vision or direction as a church. Um, I did one six months after I came here, and then the last one I did was back in the summer of 2017, and then also in January the 1st, usually Sermon of the New Year, I do one just kind of on the state of the church, but this kind of sermon series, we're taking a multi-week look at our church and where we're going, it's, it's been, um, I don't know, a year and a half, more than that, almost two years since I've done it. So I think that's too long. It's too long for two reasons. One, we've had a lot of people come since then. So a lot of new folks here, which is kind of God to continue to add to our church. And then um, the people have been here a long time and when a new pastor comes, I, I wouldn't consider myself new anymore, but new enough, uh, it's usually like when in years two and three and four and five that the leadership of a newer pastor coming really solidifies and really takes hold and the direction that he's going to take the church really starts to cement. And so it's good to continue to remind in those years of these things, and that's what we're trying to do here. And then we've moved into a new building, and we had from this time last year until this past November, December, that was our focus and our mission, and we did a lot of good work. It was a lot of fun, actually, I think, reflecting on it. Maybe not always fun, but as a whole, it was enjoyable, and it's neat to see everybody working together. But what's next? What are we doing next? And so that's what these sermons are trying to do. Let me read Psalm 78, which will give you an idea of a focus, a major focus of our church, and then we'll pray, and then I want to emphasize a few things in this text. God's Word here says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. 
We will not hide them from our children, but tell, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Righteous, O, are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You appointed your testimonies in righteousness and all faithfulness. God, may zeal for your word consume us. May we never forget your words. Your promises are well tried. We love them. We don't despise any of them. Yet, God, please teach us not to forget any of them. Your righteousness is a righteousness forever. Your law is true. But sometimes, God, trouble and anguish find us out. May even in those seasons your commandments be our delight. And so, God, give us your spirit now that we might have understanding of them and live in them. In Jesus' name, amen. I think reading these verses and reflecting upon this week uh, on them, the most important um, words, the most important five words are the first five. Give ear, O my people. This psalm was given as an exhortation to fathers to teach their children the truths of God's word so that their children and their children's children and their children's children's children would set their hope in God. Right, so consider this then. What's going on in this psalm is that the responsibility for our children to put their hope in God, under God that is, the responsibility under God for our children to put their hope in God lies with us, his fathers, and alongside of fathers, mothers. Um, our children will hope in something. They'll have hope in something. If it's not God, it'll be something else that will not bear their hope. Could be their money or their work ethic or their spouse, job, athletic prowess, intelligence, whatever. And so our job as fathers is to put our hope in God and then teach them to do likewise. We don't want them to rebel against God. We don't want their hearts to be hard towards Him. So this is about heaven and hell, isn't it? It's about our children's eternal destiny, where they will reside forever, either in joy and happiness before God Almighty in heaven forever or apart from Him in hell. And so this is big. This chapter of the Bible is weighty. It's heavy. This is about the eternal salvation of the eternal souls of our children. That's what this text is dealing with. Doesn't do anyone any favors to deny that reality, even on Mother's Day. It's true. Mothers of all people feel the weight of that. And so when I say that the first five words of this chapter are the most important, I'm not overstating. 
give ear, O my people. And then we could say, dot, 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 the salvation of your souls, or your children's souls is, is what we're talking about here. Give ear, O my people. Give ear, O Father. We're talking about the soul of your child. Give ear, O mother, you who cares more in this world than any other for your child. Give ear. Can you fathom your child without God, without hope, without Christ, apart from him in hell? Can you bear that thought? If not, then give ear to God's word. Give ear. Give ear. So, with that brief intro, it shouldn't come as any surprise to you then that we as a church have as a major focus training of parents to disciple their own children. Because of texts like this in the Bible. Pine Grove Community Church, if you're here for any time, you will hear emphasize a parent's duty, particularly a father's duty, to raise their children in the Lord. So this shouldn't be just Pine Grove focus. This should be every church's focus. If they're a biblically functioning church, if they love their people, if they love the children of their church, they will do whatever they can to teach and train and discipline and hold parents accountable to do the good work of raising their children, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is because that, that is how God has set up this world to work. Okay, we've seen in our sermons in Genesis, or if you weren't here, that God has set up this world with a certain ordering. And, and if, if you want to get technical, we call it the covenant. God has set up the world where men have been given responsibilities to lead and care for and provide and protect and represent their wives and their children and their churches and their workplaces and so on. And then where the fathers go, the world goes. Uh, and, and so this order is what it is. It, it can't... Another, this order just is. It, it can't be like either you agree with it or disagree with it. If you disagree, that you find a different order and it'll work too. This ordering is woven in the very fabric of our world. Either fathers will take this up and bless their children and their churches and their world, or fathers won't take it up and it'll be a curse on their children and their families and church and their world. Fathers lead, fathers are heads, that's just the way it is. So it isn't a question of not whether or not a father will be a head, it's just what kind will he be. You understand what I mean? If a father is willing by faith to faultingly pick this up, It'll be a great blessing. And if a father won't, then that will dominate. And so what we as a church want to do is hold high this value 
do the good work as elders and teachers to equip the parents, the fathers in particular, who are then responsible to do it. Now, it shouldn't at all um, surprise you if I say that our world is doing everything they can do to kill that. So this is another reason we as a church focus on it. The God-ordained arrangement of parents teaching their children to hope in God is and has been for a long time under attack. You've heard it said many times, right? The family is under assault. You've heard that? The family is under attack. Now, again, because God has set up the world to work a certain way, for fathers to rule, for fathers to lead, it isn't a question as if a father will do that. It's just which father will do it. It'll either be the daddy at home, the biological or adoptive father, or it'll be a replacement. So some father figure will rule. In our day, the the father that's trying to encroach in on the real father is daddy government. Instead of wives and children looking to their father, their husband, for the protection and provision, we now look to Unky Sam. If your husband isn't providing, your big government husband will provide for you. If you don't want to train your children, just hand them off to kind of a socialistic, government-run education system. They'll teach and train your children in their religion. Okay, so, so that's why we talk about this a lot. That's why we emphasize this so much because the souls of our children are at stake and God has set up the world to work a certain way and we have faith in him to admit that and follow it. That's what we're trying to do here. The statistics for the children of Christian parents in the evangelical church is not happy right now. Depending on the article or group you read, you're looking at somewhere between 50 and 90% of children raised in evangelical homes not continuing on in the faith afterwards. Who knows what it is? And I just think the major issue is the church isn't taking up the responsibility to give that responsibility or to encourage and empower and equip the parents to do it. And so we, we want to do that. Another way to say, we have good programs for children at our church. Awana is excellent. We have youth group. We provide some programs and fun things. But those things in a, in a family should just be the supplement. The main thing is what's going on in the household. Another way to say it is, if the faith is not being handed off, especially by the father in the household, all the Awanas can never um, be a substitute. And so we want to do what we can do to help parents. Now, I, I want to say this. Be, listen well here. There are the two most difficult things that you ever do in your life will be dying and raising children. That's not a joke. Right? 
And I don't mean parenting is hard and like, ugh, hard. I mean, it's just, it'll take your life. It's hard work. Parenting is very, very difficult work. And kids, when I say that, I don't mean it's like, oh, it's such a burden. You're such a, that's, that's not what I'm saying. It's just that when you're parenting as a sinner, a child who's a sinner, and you care deeply for them, the greatest work you'll do is also the hardest work you'll do. And it's always true in our lives, right? The thing that is most difficult always has the greatest rewards and the greatest joys, but it's also the hardest. And that's true in parenting. It takes faith. It takes gut-wrenching, on-your-knees, chest-pounding faith before the Lord to raise children. It's hard work. And it's glorious work. It's beautiful work. It's wonderful work. It's a blessing from the Lord. But it takes courage. It takes faith. And it takes the help of the church. And so that's what we want to do as a church. And throughout the Bible, we see time and again that that work is primarily given to the parents, particularly to the father. And so we want to honor that. We just want to have the faith to honor that. We want to have the faith to believe God that it's true. Right, and we read in Malachi 2.15 that God isn't just seeking uh, for Christian parents to have lots of kids. That's true. He wants full quivers. Children are a blessing. But that he's seeking godly offspring. God isn't just seeking children. He's seeking parents to raise their children to be godly. And that's the very thing we see here in Psalm 78. All right, so uh, let me just walk through a few things in this psalm and then talk of a, kind of a few considerations and then uh, just narrow it down to asking the question, what did God give us his word for? So beginning in Psalm 78, again, he, he's calling for his people to give you or to give the preacher to give you to give the preacher your ear because this is about the salvation of your children so give me your ear and then if you get down to verse three you hear that that the psalmist or the preacher in his generation have heard and known something that their fathers have told them so here we already have two generations so you have the psalmist the preacher in his generation being told something about them by their father. So there's two generations. And then he says, but we will not hide them from our children, but tell them to this coming generation. So there's three generations. And then down in verse five, he commanded our fathers to teach their generation. So again, that's the third generation. Why? So that the next generation might know, the children yet unborn might know, and arise them and tell their children. So we have five generations spoken of in this psalm. Five generations spoken of in this psalm. And as Pastor Jeff illustrated very well, it's kind of a game of telephone here. You have God giving the father the responsibility to teach his child the truth of God and what God has done in Christ so that he could teach it to his child and don, 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 all the way on down. And we cannot miss verse 5. It's the, 
It's the exhortation of exhortations in this text. God established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel. There's his inspired, holy, eternal word. Why? He commanded our fathers to teach to their children. All right. So the regular, normal pattern in Scripture is God gives his word to fathers in order to teach it to their children so that they would in turn teach it to their children and on and on and on. So one of the main evangelistic methods in the Bible is home-based evangelism. So one of the things, if people come to us and say, what are we doing for evangelism in our church? One of my answers is, we're equipping parents to evangelize their own children. The greatest unreached group in every church are our children. And we don't want to be a kind of church that so busies people and divides the family with our programming. You know what I mean? I've been a part of churches when the family comes to church, they're never together. Right? The dad goes over here, the mom goes over here, and then the kids, depending on age, go over here. And that's what the church does all the time. Small groups are divided, so on and so forth. And then the church are so busy with programming, there's something so many nights of the week that the family's never together. And I think that can be a hindrance to this. And so one of our main evangelistic thrusts is to have significantly less programming so that families can have dinners together. Because the prime time for this kind of evangelistic work is often around the dinner table or breakfast table or bedtime. And we don't want to take dad during those times. and We don't want to take mom during those times. Okay? So if you're talking about evangelism, this is it, right? Here's evangelism. How many churches are losing their children because they're keeping moms and dads so busy they don't have time to eat dinner together? Okay? So this is evangelism. Now in that, let me just give you three considerations. Number one, over this psalm, of course, is that God saves alone. Okay? This isn't saying to parents, ultimately the salvation of your child depends on you. That weight is not being put on a father or mother here. Our children, your children, are born sinful and separated from God in sin in Adam. When we read about the fall throughout the Bible, like let's say in Ephesians 2, we are born dead in our sins and trespasses. That's true uh, when a child is conceived. Because <laughs> it's hereditary. Your child is born alienated from God handed down from you, which you got from your parents as I got from Adam. And so only God can birth your child again. When Jesus met with um, Nicodemus under the cover of dark in John chapter 3 and said that the Spirit of God alone can birth a dead and sin sinner, that includes our children. Okay, so you and I put our hope in God as parents for the salvation of our children. We don't put our hope in dad. We don't put our hope in mom. We don't put our hope in pastor. We don't put our hope in Awana um, club leader. 
our hope for the salvation of our children that we dearly love and would get of our own lives for if they could come to Christ is in God alone. Okay? And the great hope in these passages that God loves to save the children of believers. He loves it. He loves to bless a thousand generations. The reason I read is our assurance of salvation from Exodus 34 is that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faith. Listen to this. Who keeps steadfast love. That term steadfast love is God's saving love, his, his covenant-keeping love for, for thousands. And then the context there is generations. Parents should have all kinds of hope for the salvation of their children in God. And too often in churches, we say the exact opposite. It's like we're pessimistic about the salvation of our kids. It's like we expect them to go through a rebellious time away from God. That should not at all be the biblical expectation. You should have great confidence in God because God loves to save the children of believers. So we put our hope in God for the salvation of our children. Second, the emphasis in Psalm 78 is on fathers. God commanded our fathers to teach their children. So what do we do for... Believing moms with an unbelieving husband? Or what do we do for moms whose husbands have left? Or what do we do for moms whose husband has passed? What do we do for single moms? Well, you should not despair and have great hope. A couple of texts that should be your go-to as a mom who's raising their child without a believing husband, either because he's not there or he's just not believing. One would be 1 Corinthians 7, 4. Teen. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 7, 14. Paul encourages, the situation there is, um, a husband and wife are married, they were not believers, and they have children, And later on, the wife comes to the Lord. The Lord brings her graciously to saving faith, and the husband remains in unbelief. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, encourages the mother, saying that because she's believing, her children are holy. It doesn't mean they're automatically saved. That just means the covenantal blessings of God, the kind of leg up that children of believers have over children of unbelievers is there for a mother who believes even if the father doesn't. That should be a great encouragement to you. A second really good encouragement should be Timothy. Are you familiar with Timothy in the Bible? Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I, I want you as a mom who doesn't have a believing husband to, like, put this text on your mirror or something. Write it on lipstick there. Emblazon this one on your heart because you fear for the salvation of your child. I know you do. You grieve that daddy isn't there to do the work that he should be doing. And you're right to grieve that. It's sad. It's hard. Timothy grew up in a household with an unbelieving father. Timothy became the Apostles Paul's successor. Uh, 
He, be, he became a pastor of a local church. And I'm not elevating pastors here. Oh, whoa, if your son becomes pastor. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying, God was faithful to a believing mom. In 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul writes, I am reminded of your, Timothy, sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you also. Isn't that sweet? Not many people get their names in the Bible. Really. Some get their names in their Bible for reasons that they don't want to have their names in the Bible. But here are two godly women held up as examples for moms with unbelieving husbands or moms without husbands. Grandmother Lois, Mother Eunice named, and Timothy is the fruit of these dear women. That should give you great hope. Later on we read in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, some insight into how Lois and Eunice were instrumental in Timothy coming to faith. So here's Paul again exhorting Timothy, but for you, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. So Timothy has learned something and he firmly believes it. Where did he learn it from? Knowing from whom you have learned it, how from childhood... You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise revelation through faith in Christ Jesus. Who from childhood made Timothy acquainted with the scriptures? Grandmother Lois, Mother Eunice. And so have all kinds of encouragement, dear single mom. And if your unbelieving husband is here, Husband, please, for God's glory, for the sake of your own eternal soul, for your wife, for your children, for this world, quit being so prideful. Quit being so neglectful of your duty and turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Be a man. Come to the Lord in submission and humility. Uh, last consideration after God alone saves, believing mothers or a believing husband have great hope, the final consideration, and I've already said this, but I just want to get it through. We should have great optimism for the salvation of our children, but not great assumption. There's a, there's a line there. You should have great hope in God for the salvation of your children, but, but you shouldn't just assume it. There's work to do. Another way to say it is, God alone saves, but God saves by faithful believers doing what he says by faith that he uses then to save. Do you know what I mean? God uses people to save. And in the lives of our children, God uses parents to save. So this command... In in Psalm 78, verse 5, I command the fathers to teach their children. God has ordained the salvation of the children through a means, through a person. And that person is the father. So we should have great hope and optimism, God, but but that, that, that should encourage 
our faithful doing of these activities that God has given us because we have all this hope in God, all of these promises of God. So don't sit back idly. Don't sit back going, God will do it. I'm good. No, no, God will do it. I'm going to get to work. Don't be assumptive. Don't kind of, yeah, the pastor will do it. God will use somebody else to do it. No, no. Take it up, father and mother, with great hope. Because God is a God who loves to save generations to a thousand generations. Great hope. Great hope. Never assumption. And this gives me the question of, what has God given us his word for? Now, there's several answers to that. But I think one of the neglected answers is what I'm about to say. God wants, or this world wants to replace the Father with something else, ultimately government in our world. I I think that's undeniably true. This world is rewarding families with lazy, absent fathers. And it's destructive. It keeps kids ultimately not just from good lives, but from the Lord. The solution is the church to teach and train parents led by the Father to raise their children to the Lord. But how? In order to answer that how, I've got to ask you, what is this for? Why did God, by his Spirit, inspire men, prophets and apostles, to write the words that he wanted written and then preserve them for us and have it translated into our language What is this for? What is God's intended impact of his holy and eternally potent word for? What's this for? Well, look at Psalm 78. Look at verse 5 again. He, who's the he there? It's God. He established a testimony. He appointed a law. Here's the doctrine of Scripture. This is God's Word. All of it, every word of it, is from God. When I am preaching God's Word, it's God's voice we're hearing. Not because I'm saying it, but because God has spoken it. What's it for? Why has He given us 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. What is a primary purpose of God giving us this? What's it for? It's for fathers to teach your children. That's what this is for. So Psalm 78 says, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. God gave us a testimony. God gave us a law. He gave it to fathers To not leave on a shelf, to not neglect and ignore, that you might know inwards and outwards how to fix a 78 Ford whatever. But he gave you this to know more deeply, to know more intimately, to know more truly than anything else that you know for the sake of the salvation of your child. That's why he gave us this. That's why he gave us this. 
The question is, do we as fathers and mothers believe the sufficiency of God's word by faith for the salvation of our children? Do we believe it or not? I'm not saying this is not hard work. I don't think there's any harder work as a father and mother than this work. I really don't. There is nothing so humbling and so humiliating that that is used by God to grow you more than anything than having kids. Because you die. It matures you in a way that nothing else will mature you. If if you'll embrace it, if you'll take it up, it's hard work. And, and, and it is sinful work. You find all new avenues of sin for your own self when you start having kids. You come face to face with the doctrine of your depravity when you have your first child and you haven't slept much, especially as a mom, in days. And things start coming out of your mouth that you didn't know could ever come out of your mouth. You thought you were a sweet, godly woman until that point. Right? And your husband thought, what in the heck just happened here? <laughs> and then you find all the ways that he's failing and disappointing. This is God's grace to us. You know, he gave you children to sanctify you. It's hard work, but it's glorious work. It's wonderful work. Children are a great blessing. And what we want to do is, as a church is train, hold accountable, assist, discipline parents to do this work so that parents can multiply themselves as believers. And so what can you do as a dad? What can you do as a mom to take up this work? First, you have to love God with all your heart as a parent. You cannot pass on to your child something that you do not have. There is nothing greater for you as a dad than to fear God. Moms, there is nothing better you can do for your children than to fear God yourself. So many times I think moms especially are tempted to put their hope in the educational system they chose. Or in the goodness of Awana or something like that. No, No, mom, the best thing for your child is for you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. For your children to see you repenting and asking forgiveness for your sin, which in marriage counseling, I have heard time and again, is very, very difficult for moms and women to do. Because you've been hurt by men, or you don't feel safe being vulnerable, and so you will not seek forgiveness for your sin. Your children need you to see you fail in sin and ask for forgiveness. They need to see you coming to church and worshiping God with zeal. They need to see you with the Bible open on your lap as the day is getting started and you asleep. Because <laughs> right? you're trying. You're tired from parenting, but you're trying to read the Bible and you're snoring. But the Bible's open. They see that. It's glorious. It's good. They see you loving God. That's the main thing. Second would be what Pastor Jeff and I often talk about, which is family devotions or family worship. Find a regular time on a regular basis to gather as a family and open God's Word together. It's very simple. This is not hard. The Reformers, our predecessors, 
before us used to say that the father is the pastor of his little church at home. Daddy comes home from work. Mom has the house in shape. Dinner on. Might be pizza. It's good. After the meal is done, or maybe before the meal, you clear the table, and Daddy makes sure the Bible gets opened, and you read a paragraph or a verse or a chapter. You can share the reading with the kids who can read. All right? And you ask a few questions. What does this text tell us about God? Right? Where do we see Jesus here? Where, where do we see ourselves in here? What's going on in this? It's very simple. We're talking five, ten minutes. We're not talking a half hour, especially with little kids. Don't kill them. Pastors do that on Sunday. You don't have to do that on Monday. And that's it. You pray. You maybe sing a song. I'd encourage you to sing a song. If you know Jesus loves me, sing Jesus loves me. Sing it off key. Sing it like you mean it. Just do that regularly. And and one of the things you'll find is if you'll just read through a book of the Bible, you'll have to answer questions that you wouldn't otherwise want to answer. And we were just reading Exodus the other day. That's what we're reading through right now as a family. And it brought up a, uh, a, a blushing kind of sexual issue there. It, but that's so good. It alleviates the pressure for me as a dad to have to talk because we've had hundreds of talks as we read through the Bible. And so just do these things. Attend church regularly. Pray for the salvation of your children. But one thing more than any, if you're still in Psalm 78, turn to the last three verses. Here's your hope. So remember, the, the main thing in this text is give ear. Oh, Father, give ear. At the very end, we have this great hope, this foretelling of the coming of Jesus Christ. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel's inheritance. With an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. Jesus came, and in John 10, it said, He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. The sheep hear his voice. They come. Nothing, no one can snatch them out of his hand. He is the good shepherd. This is telling you, your children have a shepherd. His name is Jesus who died for their sins, who rose for their justification, who loves to save the children of believers. So put your hope in him. He is the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we want nothing as a church family, especially as parents, in the salvation of the children here. We ourselves would wish that we would be cut off from Christ if they could be saved. And so, God, would you please save our children, but would you strengthen us, give us the faith as parents, especially as fathers, to teach these things to our children, to do it simply, to not be afraid to make mistakes, to be willing to fight the battle of children who don't want to do this. And so God, just grant us faith in you. May our ears be open to this. And so God, please help us for your glory and for the sake of our children. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is this. Put your hope in that God. Have faith in God to do the work he's given you. 
but doing that work as if it doesn't depend on you, but on God. Surely goodness, surely mercy follow you all the days of your life. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So put your hope in him. Our benediction is a little longer one. It's Solomon's benediction after the temple is established, and he speaks what we're talking about, so I'm going to use it. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all of his good promises, which he promised. May the Lord our God go with you as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us nor forsake us, and that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep all of his commandments and his statutes and ordinances that he has commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servants and the cause of his people as each day requires so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Amen.